Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who you are. In our world today, we can talk about the accomplishments of great men and people will respond in admiration. But why is it when we talk about Jesus, the response is one of anger and hostility? Let's find out as we complete our study in Acts chapter 6 and 7 with Cheryl Broderson. We will Part three of Cheryl's message, Without Him We Can Do Nothing. Then Stephen talked to them about the law. Again, they prided themselves. We keep rules and rituals and regulations. And he tells them first that the law, in verses 38 through 39, the law was not given by Moses. The law came by angels. It was given by God on Mount Sinai. It is higher than Moses. Moses broke the law. He tells them that their forefathers, when they heard the law, they didn't like it. They rejected it. They refused to obey it. Because you see, these people thought possession of the law was enough. We were given the law. You see, even even in Moses' time, well, we've got the law. It doesn't matter if we keep it. We've got it written on stones, and it's ours, so we're superior. And he said, no, not only does that law not come by your man Moses, It's God's law. None of you ever kept it. And being in possession of the law only makes you greater debtors to the law because you know what you should do and you can't do it and you don't do it. So the law, he takes away the prop of their patriarchs that they're trusting in. He takes away the prop of trusting in regulations and rules and rituals. Like, well, I'm better than everybody else because I do this. I butter my bread on both sides. No, there's no ritual. It's not how you pray. You know, let's just take it to our our level. I know people that pride themselves in the way they pray. I know a woman that prided herself that she used Hebrew words in her prayer, so she thought her prayers were better than everybody else's. I use English. I think the best prayer in the world is the prayer that says, help. You know, remember the two men the Pharisee, and he says, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like everybody else. I'm not an extortionist. I'm not a, you know, I keep the law. And Jesus told us that man was not justified. That man was not heard. But the man who smote his chest, the tax collector, and said, oh, God, forgive me. I don't deserve any of your grace, any of your goodness. Jesus said, God heard that prayer. But even as Christians, sometimes we pride ourselves in the methodology of prayer we use. I was talking to one man, and he says, do you pray through the temple? No. I run straight into the throne room, throw myself down before the throne of grace, and say, help! That's how most of my prayers go. It's not pretty. I'm a desperate woman. I know I need Jesus, and I know nothing else will avail. Remember Elijah, Elisha? Remember the woman who was... um, 
she built a house for Elisha. And so he told her that the Lord was going to give her a son, and he prayed for her, and she had a son. And then the son was out in the field working with his father. And the son had a headache, and he suddenly died. And the woman put the son up on Elisha's bed, and then she went, she saddled a donkey, and she was headed towards Elisha. And the servant said, what are you doing? And she said, out of my way, nothing's wrong. Her husband said, what's wrong? She said, nothing, out of my way. She gets to the servant, Gehaz- uh, the servant of Elisha, and he says, what's wrong, Gehazi? And she says, nothing, get out of my way. And she has to get straight to Elisha. And when she finds Elisha, she falls on her face, and she said, why did you give me a son? I love that. She doesn't go, excuse me, I've got a problem. She's like, ah! That's some of the best prayers. He just goes straight with boldness because of Jesus into the throne room and just go, ah! Years ago, my, um, my son, um, Char, we were at um, an Indian reservation at the water slides, and he had a sodi pop, as he called it. And he took a sip of his sodi pop, not knowing that there were five bees in it. Yeah, and the five bees stung his tongue. He's sticking out his tongue, and I see the bees just attached, going, and he's going, and so um, the lifeguard, the paramedic was there, and you know they've got life flight just in case he's got an allergic reaction to bee stings because it's his tongue, and so he's pulling out these barbs on my son's tongue, and he's asking my son, you know, what happened, and he said, I took a sip of my thody pop, and a bee his tongue, you know, and he just, every other sentence was just, you know, as he thought about it. And I really feel like sometimes I run into the throne room and I'm just like, there were these bees in my thoughty pop, and they stung me, and then they were pulled out, you know, and that's how I'm communicating, and you know what, I'm heard. Because it's not about the rules and the regulations and the rituals. It's I got Jesus. And that gets me a free pass to the throne room. And I'm there. And I'm getting everything I need. Because I'm nothing and he's everything. And it's not because of what I have done. Or my righteousness. But because I got the pass of Jesus. And I know that I need him. And I know that he gets me right into that throne room where I can pour out my heart and my problems. And I am heard. It's not about the methodology. It's not about how many chapters of the Bible we read. It's not about how we read the Bible. It is simply about believing the word of God because it's true and we can trust it, but we can't trust ourselves. Going on, because I could go on all day, but I got to retreat. I got to retreat from all of you, and I got to retreat to the retreat. (laughs) That the temple is not to be trusted in. Now he's going to talk about their institution, this thing that they believe in. I was just reading this morning in uh, Mark chapter 13, where the disciples are saying to Jesus, look at those huge stones. Now, in Jesus' time, if anything seemed permanent, then certainly the temple seemed permanent. These massive stones that were so perfectly fitted together, it was one of the wonders of the world, this temple, this temple of Herod, 
was just an incredible archaeological feat, and it seemed like nothing, nothing could ever penetrate or hurt the temple. But Jesus said, you see these stones? I'm telling you, not one stone will remain on the other. And we're told in 70 AD, when Titus attacked Jerusalem because of the golden roof and the fire in the temple, that the gold melted between the stones and the Roman soldiers were so greedy to get the gold that they literally pushed all the stones apart so they could get just the little increments of gold that had gone between the stones. Oh, but it seems so permanent. But Stephen is going to tell them that as long, uh, he's going to tell them that it began with a tabernacle. This temple began with a tabernacle, and a tabernacle was a tent. And God said, make this after the pattern. In other words, the tabernacle was not the real thing. It was not the substantial thing. It was a pattern. It was a look-alike. It was a foreshadowing of something that was to come. And then he said it, it became a temple. But God said of this temple in Isaiah 66, 1 through 2, Heaven is my throne. Earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Has my hand not made all these things? He's saying it's about God. It's not about a building. God is bigger than the building. Jesus said to his followers, he said, you know, you guys say if you swear by the temple, it's nothing. But if you swear by the gift that's on the altar, well, then that, that's, that counts. He said, you fools, what is greater, the gift on the altar or the temple that sanctifies the gift on the altar? You see, there was this, such a materialistic mindset. We've got our monument. I belong to this corporation or I belong to this association or I'm a member of this or that. And that, that does not avail you. That will not work. That doesn't make you something. And that will not bring the power of God into your life or the wisdom of God or the fullness of the Spirit. Then he goes to not putting their trust in their forefathers or their heritage. And he reminds them that their forefathers rejected both Joseph and Moses. The first time they saw these men, they rejected them. They wanted to kill them. The forefathers wanted to go back to Egypt. The forefathers worshipped idols. The forefathers resisted the Holy Spirit. The forefathers persecuted the prophets. These are not the people you want to be related to or associated with. These are not the people that you want to take pride in. You know, yes, I'm related to Crazy Aunt Dizzy. No. It's not the person that you want everyone to know you're related to. And then he goes to an indictment. He says to them, you know what? You're just like your forefathers. They're the ones who killed the prophets. And you killed the greatest prophet of all, the Messiah from God, the just one. You betrayed him and you murdered him. You did not keep the law. You are murderers. You have broken the law. 
You bore false witness against him. You lied about him. And you crucified him. You have broken your own law. And you have rejected your own Messiah. These men had the typical reaction of people whose props have been removed. Have you ever wondered why the message of Jesus Christ angers people? Why you can say any other name and people are all right, but you say the name of Jesus? Why Jesus is so prejudiced against in the public school system? Why Jesus? Because the message is is that you need him. Without him, you are a sinner. That nothing else will avail. Nothing you've done, nothing you are, no one you're related to. Nothing you're associated with but Jesus. And this is the reaction. We're told that they were cut to the heart, that they gnashed at him with their teeth, that they cried out with a loud voice, they plugged their ears, they ran at him, they cast him out of the city, they hurled stones at him. Oh, men hate the message that nothing but Jesus avails. But what a contrast. Here are these men that are totally out of control. May I say that they must have looked so ugly? Ugly, ugly, ugly. Out of control. You know, I'm sorry, but there's nothing worse than it, than that face of rage, is there? It just like contorts and that's like, it's just so ugly. They're totally out of control, gnashing with their teeth, stopping their ears. But here's Stefan. Here's the one who realizes, I don't have any props. I just have Jesus. Without Jesus, I am nothing. Here he is. He's of good reputation. None of those charges against him could stand. He's full of the Holy Spirit. He's full of wisdom. He's full of faith. He's full of power. Signs and wonders are being done by his hands. He has irresistible wisdom. He shines and radiates. He has comfort in the midst of persecution. He has joy and expectation and a vision of glory. As he looks up, he says, look, look. Look, all of you persecutors, look. I see the Son of Man. And the heavens opened. And the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. When Jesus, in Luke chapter 23, verse 69, is before the high priest. The high priest said, I adjure you by the living God. Tell me, are you the blessed one, the Messiah, the Son of God. And he said, it is as you say, and after this, you will see the Son of God sitting at the right hand of power. Sitting is a place of judgment. You will see me as the great judge. Next time we meet, you'll be in my court, and I'll be sitting, and you'll be standing. But right here, what do we see? We see the great judge, our Jesus Christ, standing. What is he doing? He is honoring. He is welcoming Stephen. Jesus is standing up to honor Stephen. Because Stephen was nothing. Jesus stands to honor those that know they are nothing. 
that know that without him they can do nothing. And he's standing up, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. They, the persecutors, they're worked up. And we find that Stephen is at rest. They are unacceptable, but Stephen is saying, Lord, receive my spirit. They are without grace. And Stephen says, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. He is full of grace, even in persecution. And he's full of rest and peace. Because we're not told that he died, but that he fell asleep and went into heaven. There are those who hate this message of needing Jesus. There are some... Even believers who want to believe that there's something in themselves that qualifies them to God. And when you hold that position, you are quenching the work of the Spirit in your life. When you want to stand in your own righteousness, or you want to stand in your own rituals, or monuments, or heritage, there's a quenching of the Spirit. God can't do everything He wants to do with you, and in you, and through you. And you know what I find? That when we're trusting in ourselves, there's a greater sensitivity to the stones that are thrown at us. Like, why would you throw stones at me? That hurt Cheryl. Ow, 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 ow. There's a greater sensitivity to the stones. But when our eyes are riveted on Jesus and we know that without him we are nothing and we can do nothing, the stones don't seem to affect us. The arrows don't seem to hit their mark because we're holding up the shield of faith. What is it? It's not about me. It's about Jesus. And we're quenching 100% of the fiery darts. We've got the righteousness of Jesus Christ on as our breastplate because we're not standing in our own righteousness. We're standing in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Our feet are shod in the preparation of the gospel of peace. We're going forward in the power of the Lord. We've got the belt of truth on the helmet of salvation. We're not feeling the rocks and the stones because we're nothing. They're going right through us because we're nothing. They can't penetrate. They can't hurt. You see, until we come to that place that without Jesus, we are nothing and could do nothing. We will never know the power of God pulsating through our lives. We will never experience the glory of God. We will not have that vision of heaven. We will never embrace the full work of what God wants to do through us. In Mark chapter 9, Jesus is transfigured before his disciples. And as the disciples, Peter, James, and John look, they see Jesus and he's standing with Moses and Elisha. And we're told that his countenance and his radiance is so bright as no fuller could whiten them. I love that term, you know. Use all the bleach you want. You'll never get this white. He's just radiant. And Peter, looking on at Jesus, says, Oh, Lord, it's really good that I'm seeing this. And we should build three tabernacles. One for Moses, one for Elijah, one for you. In other words, this is Peter's mentality. The last time that men went up onto a mountain and they saw the glory of God, it was Moses. And he came down with what? 
plans for a tabernacle, and rules, regulations, and rituals. And so he's thinking, here we go. Time for a tabernacle. Time for rituals. Time for more regulations. Here it comes. And we're told a cloud overshadows. And I'm going to paraphrase this cloud. Because this is God speaking. And this is the essence of what God is saying. Make it about Jesus and Jesus alone. This is my beloved son. Hear ye him. It's all about Jesus. It's not about the tabernacles. It's not about the rules and regulations. It's not about Moses, the law, or the prophets. It's all about Jesus. And we're told, and I love the way the New Living Translation puts this, suddenly when they looked around, Moses and Elijah were gone and they saw only Jesus with them. That's what we need to do. We need to get rid of all the props in our life and see only Jesus. We need to realize that without him, I don't know about you, for some people this message about being nothing without Jesus does not settle well. And for, all, for some of us, it's like, hallelujah, I don't have to be anything because I was really having a hard time being something. For me, this is like full relief, full release, like hallelujah, it's all about Jesus. I just get to go empty. And that's when I can expect and have the expectation of God being everything. Everything else is temporal and will disappear, but Jesus is forever. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Are you willing to say today truly from your heart, without him, I am nothing. Without him, I can do nothing. If you do, and if you say this and mean it from your heart, you will look back on your own history and you will see that Jesus has been preserving you, helping you, and bringing you through to this place. And it's never been about you. And it's always been about him. It's all right to lose trust in people. It's all right to lose trust in circumstances and opportunities and have doors close in your face. It's all right to lose trust in yourself, in your means, your talents, your strengths, your intelligence, especially if you're my age. Because when you truly realize that he is everything and without him you can do nothing, you are ready for anything and everything. And only till you realize you are nothing without him. Only then are you qualified for anything and everything. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you that you are everything. You are everything we need. You are alpha and omega and everything in between. Lord, we want to recognize right now, and if you are with me, let's say it together. Without you, we can do nothing. Let's say it together. Without you, we can do nothing. And Jesus, without you, we are nothing. Jesus, without you, we are nothing. Oh, Jesus, we need you. We need you. Oh, Lord, don't let us try to find some significance in ourselves. Stop us at every crossroad. Continually let us know that you are our everything and we don't have to be anything but yours. Thank you, Jesus, that in you we have everything we need. Everything. 
Lord, I pray that we would be emptied of ourselves, that we might be filled with you, filled with Jesus to the uttermost, filled with faith, filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with wisdom, filled with power. Lord, that we might have a vision that heaven might open to us and we might see you in all your glory and all your authority. Lord, I pray that we will get to this place that we no longer feel rocks and stones being hurled on us because you are everything. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, why does the message of Jesus Christ anger people? It's because the message is that you need Jesus, and without Him, you can do nothing. It's a message of utter dependence on Christ, and nothing that we have done in and of ourselves. But the beauty of depending on Jesus is that we no longer have to feel the pressure to be someone or something. It's all about Jesus and Jesus alone. If you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply visit our website at graciouswords.com or call 1-800-733-6443 and refer to it by name, which is Without Him We Can Do Nothing. Once again, our website is graciouswords.com and our toll-free number is 1-800-733-6443. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, Cheryl will begin her teaching in Acts chapter 8 with her message, entitled Unintimidated. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.